0: It, it's always a joy to worship with with uh, you all in this wonderful church. Uh, we were scheduled to be here this last spring. <laughs> you know what happened to churches this last spring? Yes, all over the country, all over the world. And I'm so glad that churches are beginning to come together again, not faking, forsaking ourselves together. Is And, and it's a nice group here, and I'm so glad uh, COVID has caused so much sorrow. So much sorrow and sadness and little things and big things and loss of life. Sharon and I had our second date 52 years ago in a, about a week or so. And you know where we went? To the state fair. We can't go this year. <laughs> <the> state fair <laughs> and big Texas masks. They got a mask on him. So he he's not breathing this year. <laughs> But there has been a lot of sadness. I've read one really happy story, though, recently. Uh, There's a 102-year-old lady in Iceland. Uh, Some of you may uh, know that there was a pandemic a little over 100 years ago called the Spanish flu, 1918-1919. My dad was born during the the Spanish flu. Uh, Well, she was one year old up in Iceland, she got the Spanish flu and she recovered. Recently, she got the coronavirus and has recovered. <laughs> One of the few people in the world that can say, I got two worldwide pandemics over a hundred years apart and I've recovered from both of them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's kind of neat. So there are some happy stories. Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, Uh, As we open your word today, teach us the things you would have us to know in Jesus' name. Amen. When I pastored in Florida, I often pastored uh, senior citizens' retirement churches. You know what happened along come Bay, And it wasn't the COVID virus that caused the emptying out of the church. It was the snowbirds that would start flapping their wings and heading on north to Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania. And I'd scold them, you sissy snowbirds. You stay here and take this Florida heat and humidity like we have to. You know what they do? They flap their wings and head on north. And then come back in September, October. Well, now I've got to admit it, Sharon and I have become sissy snowbirds. Our son and his family live in Walla Walla, Washington. Our daughter and, and her family live in Bozeman, Montana, not far from Yellowstone. You know what? Now that we're retired, you know what we do in the summer? We don't want to live up there in the winter. <laughs> no. But, but, in, but in the summer, we have become sissy snowbirds. And so this summer, we've traveled. Even to some family out in California and Washington and Montana tried to dodge all the fires. But uh, we made it back. And now we pull in the Keen. And now as we're pulling up our street, Lewis Lane, I can turn to Sharon and say, Sharon, just think, over 5,000 miles. No flat. No car problems. No wreck. No ticket. We've had all the above in other years. We pull in the driveway, give a prayer of thanksgiving. I get out of the car, pet the Honda on the, on the hood. Good Honda, good faithful blue Honda, made it through. We're out of supplies, folks, when you're gone over a couple months. And so Sharon goes to the grocery store to H-E-B uh, in the Honda. And I go, I take our red Toyota to Walmart. I've got a long list of stuff. Always park in aisle nine, so I'll remember where the car is. And Walmart nowadays, <laughs> the one in Cleburne. The, the entry and exit's way down. You only have one of them. So you go way down and in. And I'm in there a couple of hours and run into some people I hadn't seen in a while. Come out to aisle nine. The car's not there. 5,000 miles, no problems. And now someone's taken our car. What are we going to do? Ah. I don't want to call the police. The car, I looked again, it's not there. And then I looked over about three feet away, and I was standing by our red Toyota. That's right, we do have another car. For months, we only had the blue Honda. I was looking for the blue Honda. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't call the police. And I told Sharon, it was a relief and it was also a disturbance. It was a relief that I hadn't lost our car, a disturbance, I might be losing my mind. (laughs) Folks, it is disturbing when you, you lose something or someone of value, right? There is a chapter in the Bible, one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible, That explains how disturbing it can be when you lose something or someone of great value. And what joy there is when the lost is found. So let's turn to Luke 15. I think one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Luke 15. And we'll start right at the beginning. Now, the tax collectors... And we talked about the tax collectors in Sabbath school today. (laughs) They were not beloved, and they're still not nowadays, right? The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. Did you realize that that was one of their favorite hobbies, murmuring? They were always murmuring about, about the sinners and the tax collectors and why Jesus didn't watch his who associated with. Why wasn't he more careful about who he associated with? And so they're murmuring, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, Jesus could have just turned and scolded them. But you know what Jesus did? He's so kind. He tells stories. He tells three stories. First story. So he told them this parable. We could call it a story. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one who is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Do you notice he doesn't scold the sheep? You stupid sheep! Why did you go away from the rest of the flock? Hit the sheep! He doesn't do that. What's he do? He picks him up. I don't know how heavy the sheep were, but he picks him up puts him on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. There's joy in heaven when one returns. One is found. One shepherd was once asked, How do sheep get lost? He said, That's easy. They nibble themselves lost. He said, What? Yeah, they nibble themselves lost. They get in all this food that is grass and they start nibbling and they go more and they take their eye off the shepherd. They're so focused on eating the needs that they have that they take their eye off the shepherd and before you know it, they're lost. Could we do that too? could we nibble ourselves lost? Not intending to leave the shepherd, but take our eyes off him with the needs that we had this day, all the needs, and we nibble ourselves lost. It can happen to us. Uh, I heard one person say one time, big deal, he lost one sheep. (laughs) No big deal. (laughs) Sheep and they're all alike. They're all the same. Hey, if you ask the shepherd, are they all the same? You know what the shepherd would say? No, they're not. Shepherds got to know their individual sheep and their traits. Uh, I learned that lesson this summer. Now that I'm retired, uh, one of the things that great, gives me great joy most mornings is my delivery route. I don't deliver newspapers. I deliver treats to some of my friends there in the community, the fields around Keene. And some of them are goats, and some of them are dogs, and occasionally down to, to uh, uh, see the ducks. There's one family I'm, I'm uh, delivering right now. Uh, interesting family, three horses and one cat. <laughs> and I'll give the treat to the horses and then I'll feel the cat right up next to me. The cat wants a treat too, little cute little, little brown cat. But this summer was a new experience, totally new. Amy and Matt live up in Bozeman, Montana. It's called Mount Ellis Academy. There is a Mount Ellis. And I borrowed Amy's bike one day and I'm biking up toward Mount Ellis on the road and I discover a field of llamas. 11 of them. I counted them. Folks, I, I don't know that much about llamas. I've never spent much of my life with them. But uh, I have read they're kind of like camels, only without a hump. And if you cross them, they might spit at you. But I decided, hey, let's give it a shot. So, <laughs> then I got, I didn't know even what to eat. But... Uh, I, I got some fruit, some apples and peaches and some grains, some cereals. And I went over to the, to the fence there by the llamas and they were way over there. And I said, come llamas. But you know what? One of them started coming over. And then another. And then another. And one came over close enough. He looked at my hand and... It went like that. You don't know anything to do with it. But the other that came over wanted some. The little white one wanted, like the apple. And the little black one over here, like the peach. And then the great big one, brown and tan with buck teeth, he came and he really liked the grain. And I discovered these llama; they have individual personalities. Individual traits, they're not all alike. In fact, I brought our grandson, see... Watch the different llamas as they come, or don't come. Some would always stay back. They're individuals. I think Jesus taught this parable to teach us that all sheep aren't alike. Sheep are significant because they have individual personalities. So are llamas and so are people. They're significant. They're not all alike. And you know what? Not one of them spit at me. Not one. Jesus told another parable. I think he told this. Jesus was being balanced here. He, he, he wants a parable for the women. Okay? And so now he tells another one. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found the coin which I've lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And again, I've heard people say, Big deal! She loses one coin? So what? You know, she had nine. It wasn't just the face value of the coin. When you read different commentaries about this, this coin well could be a very special coin. A coin that perhaps she got as a gift from a friend for her birthday or a special occasion. It wasn't just the face value of the coin. It was that that coin in itself was special and significant. Let me show you something. (laughs) See this? It's Sharon's dress. It doesn't fit her anymore. <laughs> she got it when she was three. Her grandmother made it special for her. Smocking, and an absolutely detailed needlework. I can't even imagine. Spent hours and hours making this for her. And then another one for her sister. Here's Sharon when she's three years old and her sister wearing these dresses. These are very special, unique things that she values. Now, folks, I know we shouldn't get too attached to things. And I know we won't take things with us to heaven. But I believe Jesus told this story to say that, yes things can be significant if they have some sentimental value. And I, I want to tell you, folks, if we had a fire in, in our house, this is one of the first things we'd go for to, to rescue. It really would over some chair, you know, that doesn't have a lot of meaning. So I think Jesus told this story. To let women know and let men know that sometimes, yes, things can be significant. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, we're not going to take them to heaven, but they're significant as we are significant. Not just another coin. Then Jesus told another story. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me. The share of property that falls to me. You notice he doesn't even say please. He just says, give me my share. And the father divided the living between them. And notice what he does. He doesn't just give it to the son that asked. He also gives to the older son. The elder son, the firstborn, would get a double share in those days. And any other sibling just got... One share. So the older son comes out pretty good out of this, even though he gets bitter later on. The elder son comes out with his double share right then. "Give me my share. I'm getting bored around here. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of their country, and that citizen sent him into his fields to feed swine. Folks, if there were a hundred occupations among the Jews, as most prestigious to least prestigious, what do you think would be least prestigious? Feeding pigs. Right. Feeding pigs. This is the least prestigious occupation. Verse 16. And he would have gladly fed on the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. I like peas. Some people don't like peas. I like peas. I, I enjoy them. I wouldn't want to eat the pods that much, though, that contain the peas. That's what he's are talking about here. The pigs eat them. Oh. And he says, I would gladly eat the pods. <laughs> but when he came to himself, isn't that a beautiful <laughs> He finally comes to himself. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while his father was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and didn't wait for him to come back to home. What's he do? He runs, he runs, embraced him and kissed him. Even if they had COVID those days, he would have still hugged him and kissed him, right? Yes, he loves his son and he's so glad to have him back. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hands, shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. They have a party. They're celebrating that the son has come back. Do you know that there's a Buddhist parable of the prodigal son? And in the Buddhist parable, everything is the same. The son rebels, leaves home becomes repentant, comes back. And in the Buddhist parable, the father says, son, you're no longer my son. You left. But I will take you back as a servant. And you're on probation for 20 years. And if the son slash servant behaved himself for 20 years, he takes him back as his son. Is that in the Christian parable? No, what's the father? T- he takes him back immediately. Yeah, and he's been around pigs, right? Think of that. He takes him and hugs him. He takes him back immediately. I wish the story ended there. But we've got to look at the rest. Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field and he came and drew nearer in the house and he heard music and dancing. Ooh, they were dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him safe and sound. But he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but, but he answered his father, "Lo, these many years, I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he doesn't call him his brother. Notice, This son of yours comes, who has devoured your living with harlots. You killed him for the fatted calf." And he said to him, "Son." You're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fe- fitting to make merry and be glad for this, your brother, not just my son, your brother was dead and is life he was lost and is found. Get over it. This is your brother. Take him back. Welcome him back. He, somehow, maybe because he got a double share, I don't know, he gets a superiority complex. That he's somehow better... This summer, uh, Lori told you about her grandchildren. Well, we spent some time with our grandchildren, too. We have four of them. Two in Walla Walla, two in Bozeman. But for a while, we had them all together. Oh, it was great. Uh, and one evening, uh, we're driving. Uh, Sharon and I are driving. We have Sylvie. She's the youngest. She's five. She's in the car seat in the back. And so I'm driving. And I, I turned to Sharon. I said, Sharon, we have the cutest Most adorable children. And then we hear a little voice from the back seat. Especially me. (laughs) Especially me. Well, we had a hard time not laughing. We tried to (laughs) control ourselves. Um, And we didn't scold her. You know, we can overlook it for a five-year-old, especially me. But this older son had the especially me syndrome and he kept, kept it as an adult, right? And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees of all ages and times. Love those ones that have wandered and come back. Now, who is Jesus in these, in these parables? Who's, who's he trying to reach? He tells these stories. Who do you think he's trying to reach? I think he's trying to reach those who have wandered from the Lord. Some intentionally, some non-intentionally, but have wandered from the Lord. And I'm sure in this church there are some who have wandered from the Lord through the years. And what's a lesson for all of us? Welcome them back. Welcome them back. Keep loving them. Jesus is always also trying to reach the Pharisees, the especially me group who think they're better than everybody else and saying no you're not. I love you all. You're all my children. But you know a group who I is often overlooked that I think Jesus is trying to reach here. It's grieving parents. Grieving parents. Through the years as an academy chaplain and a college counselor And even now, as I visit some retired people, I had one this week, a dear lady in her 90s, grieving that her son had left the Lord, had left the church, hadn't left the family. Sometimes they leave the family too. And Jesus is trying to to reach the grieving parents of all ages, of all times. Uh, Because... through the years I've had it and they're feeling guilty like it was my fault. What did I do wrong? And nobody's a perfect parent, right? Nobody's a perfect parent. All of us make If Sharon and I had to do it over again, we'd do some things differently. Nobody's a perfect parent. But in this story, there is a perfect parent, right? This story represents the Lord. A perfect parent. But our perfect parent gives us freedom of choice and will. And as some with a perfect parent in the Lord, they still can leave. And Jesus is trying to reach his parents saying, keep praying for them. Keep loving them. If possible, keep communicating with them. Don't give up on them. I think he's talking to parents. When I was a pastor in Florida, one, one church, first Sabbath, the local principal of our little elementary school came to me and he said "Uh, I've got to talk with you pastor I said sure so we had some time to talk after he said it's about my son Terry he said Terry we tried to raise him right we tried to do the right things he went to the academy over there got kicked out now he's back home he won't go to church and he's gotten into smoking and drinking and I don't know what to do with him. And I hadn't been a parent yet at that point. I said, well, I'll pray for him. He said, can you, can you do something else besides pray for him? I said, well, I'll, I'll pray for him. And I said, does he like to do anything besides smoke and drink? And, and he said, yes, he, he likes to play tennis. I said, oh, yeah, I like to play tennis. I'll, I'll call him up and see. So I called up Terry. I said, I understand you like to play tennis. He said, yeah, I like to play tennis. I said, you want to play sometime? He said, sure. So he went out to the tennis court. I noticed immediately he had a very unorthodox game. For one thing, you're supposed to, when you receive a serve, stand back of the service box. Let the ball bounce and return it. He stood in the service box. And as my balls would come in the air, it... Now, that's not how I learned to play tennis, folks. And, and yet I thought, well, this is not the time for a lecture about proper tennis. He also smoked the whole time we were playing. And we'd have to stop for him to light up another one. And I also thought, well, this is not the time for a lecture about smoking and the dangers that you can. So we'll just leave it there. And we played tennis several other times. I invited him to church. He never came. That summer, the conference called us up while we were in t- home for Texas in the summer and said, "We'd like you to, uh, to go to the academy now and be the chaplain." Said, okay. And so Sharon and I drive up to the academy. We're looking around Forest Lake Academy. We drive by the tennis courts. There's Terry, playing tennis. Still cheating. Well still in the service box. <laughs> but, but he wasn't smoking. And I opened the window, I said, Terry, what are you doing here? He says, I've come to school. I got accepted back into school. Really? He says, Have I got a story to tell you? (laughs) I said, Yeah, I'll be interested to hear. And that week he told me a story that he had been out drinking one night and he was quite drunk when on his motorcycle he hit something, flew off the motorcycle, Onto railroad tracks. And a train. Passed over his body. He was seriously injured. But he told me. That while the train passed over his body. He did some serious thinking. And he promised the Lord. That, that he would come back. And he did. And you know what? He has stayed back. I got a call from him. Just a couple months ago. He's now uh, in a church down in Houston. He and his his wife are are involved in the church. And they're helping to take care of his 90-some-year-old mother. His father has died. He did ask me, he said, uh, would you pray for my son? He wandered away. He came back. And sometimes it takes a jolting experience. For the prodigal son, it took a famine. For him, it took a train. But the Lord can use all kinds of things. But we, as, as parents, keep praying. We keep praying and welcome them back. I don't know if you've noticed, there's a significant number here in this chapter. You know, the Bible has all kinds of significant numbers. Three funny the Trinity. Four. How many gospel writers? Yeah. Twelve. How many disciples? 24 elders in Revelation. You read about them a lot. 144,000. I believe this chapter has a very significant number. And you know what the number is? One. One lost sheep. One lost coin. One lost son. Not three lost sheep, four lost coins, two lost sons. The number is one. That number is significant in heaven and makes one, even when one comes back, heaven rejoices. There's a little cemetery down in Keene. Lori and I, our our parents are there, buried there, and our brother and his wife. Um, And it's interesting to walk around the cemetery. There's a man there buried named Alan Priest. I know his wife's celebrating 90th birthday, but he's there. And as you walk the cemetery, you come across people you've had as teachers and friends and sometimes students through the years. Sometimes you read the inscriptions. They're very interesting. Sometimes they make you smile. There's one lady, her husband died, the beginning and ending dates, and she has her beginning dates, 19, smiley face, smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) she only wants people to know the century she was born (laughs) not the year nobody's to try to find out how old she is (laughs) and there it is engraved for good 19 smiley face smiley face (laughs) there is one inscription that just arrests you just stuns you because what it says is this There are millions of children in the world, it's true, but there was only one of you. And to those parents who had loved and lost that little, yeah, sure, there are millions of children in the world, it's true, but there's only one. Of that special one they loved and lost. The great message of Luke 15. Is that God has billions of children in the world. It's true. But there's only one of you. There is only one of you. There's never been anyone like you. Never will be again. Jesus would have left heaven to come down. Just for you. Just for me. And if you happen to have wandered away from the Lord. Never forget that the Lord is there standing with arms wide open to welcome you home. Or welcome any of us home. Because there's only one of you and me. Let's pray. Gracious Father in Heaven, we're so thankful that the Son came to Himself and realized what real joy is all about. And that is living with the Lord. Living close to home. And Lord, I pray that if any have wandered, any in this church have wandered away, help us never to forget that there's only one of us, only one of each one of us, and the Lord wants us back. In Jesus' name, amen.